Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I'm one of the hosts here. You could call me a co-host. Yes, that's right. Charlie Chuck McCoy Thompson. How's it going to everyone out there with me? As always, every single day I see this guy. He's a he's a good guy. He's a slightly handsome, not too loud and boisterous, but calm, cool and collected for the most part. Except I'll start yelling on the podcast sometimes. Nathaniel. Yeah. Paul Thurston. You got my full name. Welcome to the show. You guys want a birth date? Hit me up. Uh, you'll have to call me from a weird number if you want the last four of my social, though. That's the rule. Yeah. That is so, the rule. That's the rule. You had a guy call you the other day like, oh, can I just confirm your mailing address and your thing? You're like, well, you got my address. Why don't you tell me what it is? And I'll tell you if it's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, confirm, that? confirm this, Michael from <laughs> India, probably. I just says, Michael, don't to help you. No, Michael, you don't. That's not it. Uh, welcome to a crashing Wednesday. That's what the stock market's doing. Everybody get in your bunker. The world's coming to an end. It is. <laughs> it's all over. It's, life is over as we know it. This, I don't think. This is it. This is this is just, this is the last point before it just sinks down to absolutely nothing. So you guys have to get ready. This is the best your life is ever going to be today. Well, amongst, uh, you know, uh, of course, climate change is happening all around this. No well, one's talking about it, but I don't know why we're worried about the coronavirus when we're all about to die from climate change anyway. If you see that map behind you, Nate, it's all going to be underwater soon. I mean, we should be coming yeah. out with those predictions. Now, we would that kill the coronavirus, though? That's what I'm thinking. Maybe yeah. that's that's the world was trying to heat up and come underwater to flush out this virus, and then the waters would recede and it would be gone. Maybe we take... Uh, Tesla, the CEO of Tesla, uh, Elon Musk. Yes. We take his plan of nuking the polars on Mars and we just nuke our own polars. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then that way we flood the oceans. And everyone, <laughs> I'm kidding. The world is not ending. The, the good news is on the stock market. We actually have do have good news. It is. It's down a lot, by the way. It it's dropped, down an awful lot. Halted today again, which is what the fourth? or fifth time in the last couple of weeks it's been yeah maybe four times i think in the last couple of weeks and it's it halted hasn't happened in so long <laughs> since 1997 we hadn't had a halt and now we've had four, four. yeah so at the same time four. four yeah so we said that um yeah so we got another halt that means the market was down seven percent the s p was down seven percent it eventually went down to about 9.5 percent. i think it came back up i don't know where it closed on the day i haven't looked um, let me see what it closed that around on the day, maybe down five, 6%, something like that. So listen, it's not looking good as far as the stock market goes, although there is, there's a silver lining to all of this. There is. And we only recognize this because we trade every single day in the market. Mastermindtrades.com. As we speak right now, we have already traded 25 trades today in the market we've taken 25 trades very frustrating day because we were up a bunch and then we were down and then we got back up to the same level we used to be up at so yeah that's pretty good pretty good so as the market is down 35 percent ish 33 percent over the last couple weeks our account since starting this trading class mastermindtrades.com our account is up 23% during that time. That's so a I, hell of a game. I posted in the group, I said, what market crash? What are you guys talking about? Our account's up 23% over the last few weeks. So 
That's pretty good. There's all kinds of ways to make money, even when the market's going down. And we've had a few red days. We have. Yeah, we mixed in a couple couple red days. I mean, one day, I think we lost 7%, 7% yeah. one of those days. And we're still up 23% because we, we had another 5% gain today. So that was good. So yeah. overall, that's good. But that's not the silver lining, by the way, to the stock market. That's just the silver lining to anyone who's in our trading class because they are working towards a future where who cares what the stock market is doing? I know when to take trades. I know when to get in and when to get out. So I'm going to make my account go up and you guys can sit there and wait for other people to mess with your account, but I'm going to take care of mine. And so that's what the people in our class are learning how to do right now. It's a process. It took me years and years to get to this point. Years. And I'm not saying that's what everyone's going to have to go through, but I'm getting them up to speed as quick as I possibly can. You're taking all the knowledge <clears throat> and putting it in educational format yeah yeah trying to so the silver lining just so everyone knows let me go to the dow real quick we'll take a look at what the well, dow is doing well i think everyone has to ask they're, they've got to say and if uh, are you gonna put the chart up on the um i can't put it on the screen right now because i'm using oh that's right thinkorswim on my pc that's and we're right. using the macbook to slowly stream live so but if you if you do go look at the chart you'll notice one particular thing and you might be asking is this a crash like 2008? Are we seeing the next crash? And if you just look at the numbers, all signs would point to, well, yeah, this is it. This is a sell-off. Everybody's everybody's getting out of the market. We're going into a recession, which we have reached a bear market, but mm. uh, you know, everybody's selling everything and this is it. We're all going into uh, the, the greatest depression since the Great Depression. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, that's just not, it's simply not the case yet. It really isn't. And not I'm, not, I'm not normally optimistic. Now, I'm not saying that either one of us know what is going to happen, but you can look at what has happened in the last couple of weeks, and you can easily make the case that not only is this not a sell-off like we saw in 2008, we are coming into a pretty a pretty good bounce level for the for the Dow overall. I think the Dow might go all the way down to 185, maybe even 18,000, but that's going to be a pretty strong support level for it. So, <clears throat> the good part, Charlie, do you want to tell them about what the really the the potentially good news is here? Yeah, the potential good news and if you compare this back to 2008 is that we are not seeing yes, the market's going down, but we're not seeing the volume of shares sold off yeah. like we did in 2008. In fact, you probably have the exact numbers, but yep. in fact, in 2008, when the market started crashing back in September, October of 2008, for the major sell-off days, we saw 220 million. 260 million. Was 260 the high, yeah. million shares of volume selling off. Now, and the, and the Dow lost what? How many points? It, well, it lost about, uh, over that span of time, it lost 50 to 60% over this 50 time. 50 to 60%. Yeah. And it had 260 million shares. Yes. Now, you compare that to today. That, yes, the Dow's lost 10,000 points, and it's down about 35%. And like Nate said, we could lose another 1,000, uh, 1,300 points to get back down to the 18.5 range, because I think it closed today at 19.8. 19.9 basically. So we have another about 1400 points to go, uh, which would put the market down about 40%. However, tell me what the volume of shares traded is right now. So just uh, just say one week, let's say the worst week we had in 2008, we had about 260 million shares traded on the selling side. 
big sell-off. A lot of people selling off their stuff at that time. The biggest week so far, now this week, you know, we don't have the full week yet, but last week, which was also a terrible week for the market, uh, last week we had 60 million. That's 60 it. million shares traded. So <laughs> you have to d differentiate between is this a market where everyone's selling out because they think that we're in a terrible economy, they think the market has no chance, they think it's time to get out, this is the most money I'm ever gonna make on my retirement, I've gotta get out now so I can, so I can save what I've left, or, or is this a market where simply uh, the same people are selling, maybe a few more, there's people selling, obviously, that they've gotta be selling, but what you could have, instead of a big rush, a massive rush of sellers, is a complete lack of buyers. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to be in an auction, when you're at an auction, and that's what the stock market is. It's literally an auction. You can have you to, do an auctioneer voice? You have, no, I cannot. You, I, I really can't. I really can't either. No. Um, I can attempt one just I'm, for, we for listening could. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure pleasure <laughs> is the proper word for that. So you could have... You know, a, a stock market is an auction. So there's a bid and an ask price all the time. Literally, there's buyers that are saying, I want to buy this for this much. And there's a seller that's saying, I want to sell this for this much. And they're fighting back and forth all the time. Now, when you have a ton of sellers coming in, a lot more sellers than buyers, and they rush in there, well, you can actually be pushing down that price. People are dumping out their shares. They're dumping out their portfolios. Everything's going down. The value is just completely decreasing 60% like it did back in 2008. Or you could have just say uh, the same amount of people who are selling, but all of the buyers are gone, almost all of them. Because no one, no one knows what's going on. So people aren't buying in right now. So what you have is a very low volume sell-off right now where it's really just a lack of buyers. So if you can imagine, if you're trying to sell something, just say on eBay, and there's no one coming to buy your stuff in the auction and you really want to sell this, well, you're just going to keep decreasing the price until someone buys it. You know, you're listing something online and you want someone to buy it. No buyers are coming in right here, so you decrease the price. No buyers come in right here, so you decrease the price. And you keep decreasing the price, which is what these companies are doing. They have shares available to trade. And the market, the stock market, is decreasing the price to the point that buyers are gonna come back in. And so that's what's happening. As opposed to what happened in 2008, which was a massive sell-off, tons of volume, very high volume selling going on. This is a very low volume sell-off, which means even though it's been a lot, it's been 30 to 40% sometimes, it's been very low volume. And at the second that some buyers start coming back in and people start feeling safe about the stock market, we get a vaccine, we get something like that, and the buyers come back in, I, I truly believe these prices are going to shoot back up after that. You got a low volume sell off, a lot of buyers come back in, they're going to outweigh the sellers easily, and I think they're going to push the price up. So I'm not saying we're at that point yet, I'm just saying this looks weak it looks really weak to me well and look what's happening i mean everyone is shutting down yeah so it's not like it's not like people are uh quitting yeah they're just temporarily closing for the moment but these companies still need money so that's all it is they're auctioning off their stock so they can get revenue in 
It's like a to, difference between imagine that your business was closing because you couldn't make any profits and no one ever came to your place and you had a terrible business. Now you selling your business or going out of business at that time is a lot different mentality than if there is a virus that is causing you to have to close your doors for a few weeks or a few months or whatever. And so you're closing your business. Which one of those is a stronger uh, indication that you had a terrible business? That's that's the question. Right. Which one is a stronger indication? We don't have the indication that people think that all of these businesses are terrible at making profit, or their pro their their products are terrible, or in, or the economy is is just not working whatsoever. What we have are a bunch of places that are having to cut off their money spigots for a few months, and so everyone's you know the prices are all coming down. But as soon as they're able to reopen, they're able to get back to normal. I think this stuff just shoots right back up. And a lot of that might be determined by the election by that time. We'll That's see. true. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I mean, they're saying this could last for several months. We have no idea. Yeah. And in in the time that this may go on, you see the White House and people like Rand Paul and everybody coming out saying we need some sort of economic stimulus. They floated a payroll tax cut that got kind of shut down. Mnuchin's out there saying, "Give everybody a thousand dollars." We like Andrew Yang's plan, and Mitt Romney's <laughs> out there saying, "Ah, yeah." thousand bucks that's what everybody needs now does that go to people that don't work under 18 or 16 is there an age limit i don't know what their plan this specifically was i know andrew yang's plan was going to go to everyone i believe 18 and older it could have been a little bit uh, maybe working age uh, but it wasn't going to be determined by whether or not you didn't have a job or whether or not you were a millionaire it was every single person now this in the form of a stimulus, what I've heard is that it's going to be for people, uh, you know, coronavirus aid for people who have lost their jobs or have been laid off. And that's going to be. Oh, no, they're talking <clears throat> about giving a thousand dollars to everyone. To everyone. Yes. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe that's what's going to happen. They're also talking about a trillion dollar economic stimulus plan. Now, I haven't dug deep into what that means, <clears throat> but I wanted to talk about one specific. Well, we did want to talk about one specific today coming no, from right. a good friend of ours. Uh, who's in the Senate, a liberty-loving liberty conservative, Mr. Rand Paul. Now, we don't always agree with everything. I think we've disagreed with maybe three to five things that he said. However, <laughs> this is a really good thing. Um, this, in line with the payroll tax cut, would have been really good as well. So Rand Paul comes out and says, coronavirus means IRS should move tax filing deadline to July and waive fees. Senator Rand Paul says Uncle Sam, Sam should hold off on collecting taxes for a few months and waive fees and interest penalties as Americans attempt to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. The Kentucky Republicans proposal elicited a wave of feedback Monday as the COVID-19 outbreak continued to disrupt and redefine daily life throughout the world. Today, I am calling on the IRS to move our tax filing deadline from April 15th to July 15th and to waive any interest and fees for late payment, Mr. Paul tweeted. This will allow those who owe money not have to send it during our current situation, which is, is amazing for almost everyone. Almost everyone. Literally almost everyone. Now, what is the left saying about this, Nate? What well, the first response. I saw to Rand Paul on this was, well, maybe we should do something that would benefit the, peop the, uh, the people who are actually being affected by this and not just the major corporations. Like, <laughs> it's this kind of complete ignorance that you have to deal with all the time. Because when you hear that, you're like, oh, these big businesses are those taxes. They're not going to have to pay for anything. And of course, most of America are big businesses, right? Like everyone works for a major corporation. Most yep. of the corporations in America are just these massive, massive you know, when you hear Fortune 500, do you ever ask out of 
how many that is fortune 500 500 out of how many oh it's about 28 million uh, the latest <laughs> numbers like indicate 28.7 million firms are yeah. small businesses 28.7 are small businesses sorry sorry 99 percent of 28.7 okay. okay. million are small businesses yeah so, so this is just the benefit the which, major corporations, which they denote as le- fewer than 500 employees is a small business. <clears throat> okay. You have less than 500 employees, small business. I got you. And yeah. th- then when you dive into those numbers, it gets even better. And see, this is what makes me so upset about a lot of people. I see this stuff on my feet all the time. Like, oh, this is just a bailout for big business. Just more money in the corporate's <clears throat> pockets. They don't really need it. They have all this money. You're you're heartless because you don't want to actually help people. (laughs) It's like what you don't understand is most people in the United States work for small businesses. The people who would benefit the most from something like this, the people who would benefit the most from eliminating payroll taxes, from uh, from from moving the deadline date a couple months. Why? Because that allows you to have cash on hand rather than going out of unproductive means. Right. If I owe. $50,000 in taxes, and I can take that $50,000 and make $80,000 over three months or whatever. Let's say I could just get a one-to-one. If I take that $50,000 and I can make another $50,000 over a few months, it's better to have that cash on hand because then when I go to pay the IRS, I was able to make another 50 grand on that 50,000 that would have been gone three months prior. Well, it's not just that for people who, I mean, you got to imagine that Uber drivers are independent contractors. I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not a, a million people have driven for Uber and Lyft and all these other companies. Those are independent contractors that owe money to the government. Like that that money doesn't get taken out of your Uber payment when they pay you money. You owe money at the end of the year. So this isn't just for big corporations, it's for everyone. And it's so what I also see is a really good point on this is, yeah, you could invest the money, have cash in hand and make more money. You could also spend some more time saving up towards your tax payment if you don't have it right now, because Uber trips have decreased by 50% so far during this decline. In fact, they stopped <clears throat> ride sharing, I believe. They stopped the sharing. So the shared trips where you de- you're you doing the, uh, I can't, they do a lift line and they do the shared trips oh, okay, where you gotcha. split it with someone. Yeah. So they're no longer doing that. You have to get your own car. <laughs> you got to get in your own car because they don't want the people mixed smashed together because people are uncomfortable with that right now, you know, and as you always should be. So it's, it's a big deal. Say you're an Uber driver and your trips have decreased by so many and you're making so much less money right now but you still owe the taxes from 2019 you still got to have that money coming up on april 15th and so maybe you don't have all that money maybe you had a little bit saved up and since you're not getting any trips you're having to live off of a little bit of that right now you're having to live off of that money you saved up for theft and instead (laughs) so what you could do is you could have a little bit more time to save up money. But the problem is people always take the the biggest person, they'll look at Walmart and Amazon and Apple, and they'll say, oh, these people don't need more time to pay their taxes. What about the other 28 million people who are operating their own business in some kind of way? It's they more need than a little that. bit more time. It's actually more than that, though, yeah. because, sorry, it said over 99%. So 99.6. It's 99.6% of America's 28.7 million firms are small businesses categorized by less than 500 employees. Let me just do a number crunch on that. Do a number quick. crunch real quick. 90, to give how, what was it? 99.6%. So 0.04% of 28.7 million tells you how many big businesses there are. 
Let me see. I'm just going to do employees over 500. Look at how many small businesses there are. So I want to dig into those numbers a little bit because 20, 27.9 million small businesses in that. Yeah. Yeah. 27.9 million. So out of now, get this as you dig into those numbers out of the 27.9 small businesses, 56% of them over half, which would be 14 million, 14 million, 14 million businesses have fewer, have four or fewer employees. Yeah, most people just work for themselves, and yeah. that and that's considered the it's a business. You're an independent contractor, or you've got your own sole proprietorship, your own LLC, your S corp, whatever you've got, and you are technically a business, but you're mainly working for yourself. Like there's a lot of bit. You know, I ran a construction company for a little bit, and really it was just most of the time it was myself and another person. We would have 20 employees at one time, and then during the slow time we'd go down to one or two. But that's what a lot of businesses do all the time. They keep a few employees and people it's just people don't care about that because of their emotions. They're too emotional about their hatred for the really big companies. 32% get this number. So yeah, the 56% number add 32% on that because another 32% of those 27 million businesses have fewer than 20 employees. Wow. Five to 19. And then you have 10% of that number that has 20 to 99 employees. Only 1.7% of that 27 million small firms, only 1% of those have 100 to 499 employees. That's it. And that's a pretty that's that's a pretty big business when you're when you're over 100 employees. I yeah, mean, you're, you're pretty you're big. decent. But the point is, you know, this whole conversation, we're talking about how we need to take out all this fake money and send it out to people to help them out while they're losing their jobs. How about you try to create a situation where people don't lose their jobs? Like how well, about you do, why, be are they, why are people going to lose their jobs? It's because businesses are losing money. No one's going to shop there. Taxes are an expense, by the way, that businesses have to pay. So if you want to do something to try and stop so many people from losing their jobs, now you won't stop all of them. That's not what's going to happen. But imagine if everyone got the more time where they didn't they could save up more towards that towards that tax time. Or maybe they didn't have the payroll tax, so both sides were saving seven point two percent off of their money. So the business is saving seven point two percent and the employees are saving seven point two percent. Like why why create a stimulus stimulus package based on taking the money from these people and then filtering it back out to the people that lose their jobs? Instead of maybe just saying, don't take the money from the people and then they can keep it and you can have way less people that lose their jobs. And then John Legend can do a live concert and raise a billion dollars and we'll just help people out with that. You know, like it's just this mentality that like they're not going to do anything to actually solve any of the problem. They're just going to try to maybe take care of the problem as it exists. But why don't you try and address a few things that are adding towards the problem? Because then they can say they did it. I know. That's, that's what it is. Point. They, they want can to use sit. it as a political talking point. Right, right. Now, to, to, to let you guys know, we are a firm that has fewer than four employees. And I'm telling you, I don't want to fire Nate. That's what I, I'm trying to tell you. Why do you think I'm fighting so hard for this, man? Yeah, that's, you're fighting for this tax cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for this, you're this this tax cut for the rich and i mean tax delay for the rich i want it too because the money that i get paid well i'm an independent contractor yeah and so i've got to pay all of my payroll tax and everything by the way normally for a normal employee the business pays half and the employee pays half 
Well, when I come to tax time, I've got to pay that full thing. The whole, you know, it's 7.2 for uh, on both sides for Social Security and Medicare, I think just for yeah. those two. So I got to pay the full 14.4 out of my out of my pay. And then you still got to pay your business taxes come April 15th. How about we just end all this theft and then we see what the problem is after that. See what, what problem it is that we're still dealing with. And then we address it with fake money after that. But at least do something <laughs> first to try and alleviate some of the problem. With the productive money. The productive money. Yeah. Maybe they can invest in all, you know, there's just, there's all kinds of things, markets that don't exist right now. We're going to have our coronavirus markets popping up that people don't know about. A new economy can pop out of this thing that we don't even know about yet. Some other, you know, no contact delivery economy is going to become is going to be popping up out of this. You know, we never thought of before. All home delivery, everything home delivery, every single thing you ever need to do. Don't ever leave your house; it's too scary. You know, just stay there. <laughs> There's going to be all kinds of companies that are going to be growing into this problem and finding ways that they can be productive inside of the new economy that we're living in right now. There's going to be all kinds of people that are going to decide, well, maybe it's time that I work for myself because my business laid me off. Or maybe this time that I'm, there's, there's this, all this room for this new era of self-sufficiency, of non-dependency that can come out of this if you let it, if you let it happen. Uh, but we're, it's just, you know, that's simply, that's not what we're going to do. It's some, just simply not what we're going to do. Some guy was sitting around saying, I've always had this idea for this new mask yeah. that would be cheap for people to purchase. And I was, I, you know, I was afraid to take the risk, but now we have all this demand. I could take the risk, you know? So the, you, you let those types of ideas flourish in times like this. Uh, but instead the government wants to tax you and then give you a thousand dollars back. Like, oh no, yeah. no, no, no. Mm. We're still going to take your 20 grand but we'll give you a thousand back by no, the way. Don't worry about the transfer fee or anything like that. No big deal. Coronavirus update. My wife and I are looking at booking a sweet cruise coming up and we're going to be talking to you and, uh, and Stephanie about it. The good Lord, the, uh, the poor people rooms on Norwegian going down to the Bahamas right now, 130 bucks a piece nice. per person, 130 a piece masks come free with it it's already in your room when you get there flights down to miami 60 bucks <laughs> you know like literally look at a four-day cruise to the bahamas and back and you could not break the 500 dollars level on it i mean we're taking this buy right here you don't even need a bonus you gotta do it i don't need a bonus you to don't take even this need a cruise. bonus for that you can do it I on can, the i can trade regular... stock from the ship i'll buy the internet package it's probably on discount right now probably have better upload speed even probably better upload speed than we have here for sure so yeah we're gonna be uh you want to do a quick COVID update what is it COVID what, watch what's COVID watch we are now over 200,000 cases 217,325 cases deaths up to 8,917 which means the rate's actually gone down by the way if you guys can do some math let's talk I'm about sure you've seen that the national the worldwide headlines have all said that the death rate has come from 3.5% down to 1.5%. That's yeah. been the main headlines, right? Well, because you would have to think that that's what they would be focused on. Yeah. But now let's focus on the United States. Most of our listeners are from there, although we do have listeners all around the world. So let me give you the world number. Shout here. out to Lithuania. Yeah. <laughs> no, people there, I can tell you real quick, though. Yeah. So the, the, world, the worldly number is... 4.1%. So if you do the 8,000, 9,000 deaths divided by the 200,000, 
it's about 4%. But the United States cases, I think what's really skewing that here is the Italy. Um, Italy, 3,000 deaths, uh, 35,000 cases. They're about 10%. All those smokers over there in the Italian world, they had 475 deaths today. Good Lord. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Now, I saw an, an article in uh, a trend line, basically, that United States is on pace with where Italy was two weeks ago. So we're going to keep climbing those numbers. But let me give you what the USA That's is. Just at. Simple. That is just simply not true. It's not. Their That's, population density is like five times more people per square kilometer than we are. The transmission of the virus in an area that is highly populated is going to be so much higher. People have to understand this. You can't simply look at a trend line and say, well, this is going to continue forever and it's going to hit this. I could look at any stock right now and look at a trend line and say, well, this means it's going to go to infinity. No, <laughs> trend lines break. They don't just necessarily yeah. follow, especially when you're dealing with populations that are completely different when it comes to population density and you're talking about spreading the virus between people. And the different factors that Italy has an older population they have more smokers their their smoking rate is about a quarter of their population and 24 percent where the united states is down to 14 percent um, and if you look at italy they've got th over thirty-five thousand cases which puts them at 591 cases per million people now the united states numbers are running a 1.5 percent death rate right now we've got just over eight thousand cases and 133 deaths we're looking at a 25 25 cases per million people. It's because we finally switched over the Medicare for all. Well, yeah. That's why. We finally built that wall between <laughs> us and, and Canada. It's, it's the longest it border. By the way, I was going to tell you, we have listeners in Canada, UK, Australia, Germany, Brazil, Mexico, South Korea, Ireland, South Africa, Puerto Rico, Philippines, New Zealand, India, Vietnam, Chile. Good morning, Vietnam. Netherlands. I bet they love that. Netherlands, Singapore, Japan, Thailand, France, Nigeria, Israel, Colombia, Belgium, Sweden, Norway, Italy, Romania, Switzerland. Are you Chechnya. saying all those socialist countries listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. Denmark, Austria, Spain, Poland, UAE. That's because I was there one time. Ukraine, Russia, Egypt, Finland, Malaysia, Indonesia, Bulgaria, Costa Rica, Malta. Big, big volume spike in Malta here recently. <laughs> Panama, Croatia, Morocco, Cyprus. Good Lord. That's a lot of countries. Just keeps going. Well, everybody loves, everybody loves liberty everywhere. Unfortunately, I'm is. not sure that Lithuania is still a country. I said that earlier. Pakistan, big listenership in Pakistan. Shout out to our Pakistanian listeners. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So anyway, this is Good Morning Liberty Worldwide, where it is, in fact, morning every time, everywhere around the world. There, It's morning at some it's point morning, in time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so good morning, Liberty, to people who are in china right now who are probably actually didn't see them on there they're probably not allowed to listen to this i would say because <laughs> it says liberty on yeah, it. i don't think they're allowed that we got blocked because of uh, uh because of freedom yeah we got blocked because of freedom from china that's too bad now my question on this are you don't did you go through all the numbers for coronavirus yeah yeah i went through them uh the ones that are important okay now my question for this this is what i, I was talking to my mom about this the other night, uh, last night what, Charlie, what would you say the, like, what's the goal? Where's the point where we say that we're not worried about this anymore? 
Like, what's the point that we say that this is over? Is it no deaths, no people getting coronavirus? Is I don't that know. It? I mean, 5,000 people die every day from tuberculosis. I know. And so I was talking to my mom. I was, so. like, I was like, it's it's so random to me that we picked a disease and we said, there can be no people in the world that have this disease or we're going to shut everything down. When we've got... 20 diseases that kill more people every single day than coronavirus does. And we pick this one and we say, we can't have any cases of this or everything has to be on lockdown. So my question is like, what would be the, where do they say that everything's okay? Because I mean, I would say as soon as you start letting people out again, well, coronavirus is going to pop up. Do we hide indoors until there's a vaccine? Do we do it until no new cases pop up? Do we do it until the new cases are, are, are going down? There's less and less new cases. Uh, I just don't know where. Like, we still haven't even reached flu numbers. What's the, I know. I know. Like not even close, by the way. Not, e- not even close. Not even, not even remotely close. No. Like we're worldwide. The coronavirus numbers haven't reached what the United States flu numbers are yet. Yeah. Uh, it, not even close. Now, so they're saying, you know, I get this a little bit because I, I'm not saying I go back and forth, but I, I think it's good to have all the information. So what they're saying is the reason why this is a novel uh, uh, virus is because it's typically uh, the coronavirus is an animal virus. And so typically it's not going to be transferred to humans, although it, it happened. It mutated to where it could be transferred to humans. And what people are saying is, which is wrong, by the way, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. They're saying that our bodies don't have any defense mechanisms against this. And that's not true, actually. Uh, your body does fight off any disease. Uh, it's prepared to fight to fight diseases that you have never had. If before. you have an immune system, then you yes. have defenses yeah. against against everything. Now, if it's Ebola or something like that, like you don't have a great defense system against that. There are diseases that you're not going to do a great job defending yourself against, and especially if you're really old. But saying that we have no defense system, right. like what the entire world's immune system is completely gone. Is that what you're saying? We don't have any immune system. Yeah. You're, you're, the human body is actually pretty miraculous and uh, people are actually hard to kill. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. I've tried before, man. And it's tough. <laughs> Let me tell it's you am- what. It's amazing what your body can actually do and put up with because, you know, you do have what's called white blood cells. And even if you've never, if your body's never encountered a disease before, uh, your body figures out a way to fight it. And if, if, if it were the case that if you'd never been introduced to a, a disease, then the first one you got, you would die. Everyone would die. The, yeah. the, the death rate would be 100% right. if you had no this way podcast, to fight it off. Podcast wouldn't exist, <laughs> yeah. by the way. And so what I, I, I don't know what this, this to me still is not a big deal. I mean, the numbers continue to go up. But we're not even Italy hasn't even reached flu numbers yet. Yeah, uh, it, it's just it's unfathomable what they're doing now. You tell me, Nate, I uh, don't want you to put your conspiracy hat on again. But, you know, with everything being so volatile right now, I think you just have to ask all the questions uh, out of Fox News here. Trump calls himself a wartime president over coronavirus now ironically he's already he a wartime war. president because we are always bombing people all the time so. yeah but we're not at i guess we're okay. not at yeah sorry we've been at war for 20 years but we're not at <laughs> yeah. war you know you know the thing. he's always been a wartime president so so he calls himself a wartime president over coronavirus the soldiers he, overseas are like uh yeah <laughs> you are just now like i mean i've been here for a bit what are you right. talking about 
Now, apparently Trump is against coronavirus, which is a noble cause. Uh, <laughs> As we all should That's be. That's where he you comes know. down on um, that topic. It's like I'm against poverty and I'm against the coronavirus, just like I'm against AIDS and tuberculosis and everything else that goes around. But um, he invokes the Defense Production Act. Now, that sounds scary, doesn't it? The Defense Production Act. Well, uh, so let me read a little bit of this from here. President Trump on Wednesday uh, that he is invoking the Defense Production Act as part of the administration's effort to tackle the coronavirus pandemic and also described himself as being a wartime president. Uh, he said, quote, this is definitely a quote of his. <laughs> it can do a lot of good things if we need it. <laughs> so, ah, riveting. Thanks for telling us what it does. Uh, we'll have it all completing. We'll have it all completed, signing it in just a little while. Ah, so he's going to put a signature on it. The act ensures the private sector can ramp up manufacturing and distribution of emergency medical supplies and equipment. The move gives the White House the authority to increase production of masks, ventilators and respirators, as well as expand hospital capacity to combat the coronavirus. So oh, great. Good. We can outlaw the certificate of need. Now. Thank you for uh, giving the hospitals the capacity <laughs> to be able to do this. I'm so glad we had to wait for a declaration of war from Trump <laughs> to be able to allow the private market to start yeah. working towards this. That's very nice. And that's a, so you mentioned in this, doesn't it mention uh, respirators and, and masks and all well, kinds of so, stuff like that, right? Well, let's, ventilators. so you may be asking the question, which uh, we did, what is the Defense Production Act and when did we last use it? Well, the act was first enacted in the 1950s as a response to the Korean War and has since been reinvoked more than 50 times since. It streamlines production of medical supplies to help the country battle the coronavirus pandemic. But it, it really was for ramping up manufacturing during war times. It was used during the Vietnam War um, because here's what it does. So it does basically three things. Trump didn't give any specifics on what he was going to use it for. But it's going to be but, good. But more than likely, it'll be for medical supplies. But what does it do? Well, companies are required, required, by the way, to accept and prioritize contracts from the government and to prioritize material services and facilities to promote the national defense or to maximize domestic energy supplies. So if you have a hundred contracts sitting on your desk, the government ones have to go to the top and you have to accept them. That's what, that's what that directive is. And that's just basically. A, like they come in and they say the government has mandated that we need this many respirators. We need this many test kits. We need this many things like, which yeah. as a private business, you're not going to turn down because no. it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed way higher payment because it's from the government than it would be from anyone else. Right. So, so they'll be fine with this. The problem is the market would already do this. Like there's a need for these things and it would already do this. And the people, the hospitals, the, the people paying for these things, had it been coming out of the private market and not prioritizing government contracts, the prices would all be lower for everything. Because it's, you, you guys know this, that when the government decides they're going to do a contract for something, it's, I mean, good Lord, Charlie, how much more money do you think we could be making off of this coding thing if we were working on a government contract instead of working off of a private contract from well, a hospital? charge so much for hour. So much money. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. If you're making toilet seats, you can charge freaking thousand, two thousand, fifty thousand bucks a pop for those. You're making coffee mugs, you're going to get a thousand bucks a pop for them. Like, of course you like this. But whose money are they using to buy all the stuff? That's the problem. It's, yeah. Whose money? 
It's yours. Your money. Yeah, that's who they're using. They're going to give you a thousand dollars back, Nate. Oh, they're going to give you a thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. I mean, people don't even win on the prices right sometimes. Oh, listen, I, <laughs> I just, I hate to to dump on something that's they're trying to put out as a solution. It's just you don't. Now listen, maybe this is going to help, and then the problem is they'll there's it's it's See, not as if it's really going to create less respirators overall. But, it'll it'll but create again, more than what we have right now, but it might not create as many as we would have had. So that that's the thing we've already had probably. Yeah, it's like the it's like the you know the war against poverty coming at a time when poverty was already on a massive downward spike, and then we have the the war against poverty come in, and then all the people who love that can say, oh look what the war against poverty did for poverty. Like no, it was already doing that, man. So now you can come in and say, well look, our wartime powers, whatever this thing is, defense production act. Look what we did. We created all this stuff, and you'd be like, well. Wasn't the private market going to produce all that stuff anyway? And that's exactly what they produced at better prices. Would they produce at cheaper prices for everyone and been able to produce more because it was less price per everything they were producing? And they wouldn't need to be ordered to do it. They yeah. would, it would have already. Yeah. But no, the government wants to say, oh, look what we did. There's no way you could do this without us. You couldn't do it without us. Well, yeah, they couldn't increase beds without without them because it's illegal to. It's illegal to increase beds. So the second provision of the act provides financial measures such as loans, loan guarantees, purchases and purchase commitments to speed up the production of materials needed to support national defense and homeland security procurement procurement requirements. Uh, so they basically are saying ah, we'll give you free loans and they're going to be guaranteed and the best people will guarantee them and you'll you're not you can't lose take out the loan yeah it's like well yeah if i'm offered a small business loan that i can't lose on i'm taking it you're warren buffett at that time you're gonna take that with a guaranteed return yeah exactly the act also addresses is the third one here addresses voluntary agreements or what the government says is quote an association of private interest approved by the government to plan and coordinate actions in support of the national defense the provisio permit the provisio permits businesses, competitors, business competitors. Sorry, let me re- let me restart that one. Can we get a revamp? Uh, just the provisio you know. permits business competitors to work together to plan and coordinate measures to increase the supply of materials. So it's like, ah, oh, stop competition. Yeah, everybody gets a participation trophy. Let's all work on this together. Google, you don't need to be better than Facebook, and Facebook, you don't need to be better than Apple. We're all going to come together and combat this thing. As one whole United States of America, God bless it. Exactly. Yeah, that's it's, gonna that's gonna do it. Like like these, like people are trying to compete over death or something. The problem is like you got to have this thing where they said, you know, he announced what was the last Friday while we were trying to trade the press conference. Um, last Friday he announced that's not one of the strategies. That's by the not way. <laughs> trading Trump's press conference is not a strategy uh, that we trade with all the time. So that that wasn't a good idea. But no, he announced like we're going to be reducing current restrictions on hospitals and and medical providers and taking away, you know, some of the certificate of need things and allowing them to do like, why have that in place in, in the first place? Like, why is it that a hospital has to get approval to have 300 beds? And if they want to have 310 beds, then they got to go to court for a year with the government to be able to have more beds. Like, why is that a thing that you have to remove during this process? If it weren't, if it simply weren't there in the first place, they would have started adding more beds a couple months ago because they want more beds anyway. 
They already want that. Like they they want to be able. To, <laughs> we know of one that wanted a whole new unit. Lacey was telling me she knows now. This is what a hospital will do. So you're you're allowed to have a certain amount of beds, and that's what you can have. But what you can do is say your hospital is broken apart into two hospitals. So say you have Centennial downtown and you have Centennial West. Yeah, West. And East and North. And East, whatever. Yeah. So you got those. Well, they'll treat that as one hospital and they'll give you an allotment of how many beds you're allowed to have for all of those. So say they get a thing where they can have a thousand beds for Centennial, which is the parent company of those two, three hospitals, right? So they'll have that. So what they'll do is they'll keep their beds at like 200 at one of them and then like 300 at another and 200 at another, and they won't use up all of them. But what they'll do is say Centennial Downtown needs more beds. Well, they'll leave enough where they can take some beds from another hospital and they can take away from that one and add them into Centennial Downtown because they can't simply go to the government and go to court for a year every time they need to add beds to their hospital, which is what they'd have to do. So instead, they get these umbrella companies where they can have multiple hospitals. They contract to have a certain amount of beds for all those hospitals, and then they'll shift the beds around between hospitals based, anytime, on, the region and the based on what the region is and what it is, instead of simply just being able to do it when they need to. Like just, just adding the beds or taking them away when you need to. Isn't that a crazy idea? So weird. It's so crazy. You have to have a license to have a bed. And your competition can take you to court to challenge your license. It's insane. It's completely insane. Fee wrote a great article about this. Ugh. We've been talking about it for a long time. Trust us. We know a lot about healthcare, And when I say a lot, it's, it's almost all of it. Oh. And so you have to understand, Fee wrote a great article during this pandemic. But we've been talking about this for a long time, that the, the healthcare market that we have is not private. The failures that you are seeing during this pandemic are not private market failures. These are government failures. You want to know what? We haven't tested enough people because the CDC screwed it up. I read today what the screw up was that the government ran CDC, first limited it to their own two labs. And then what happened when they went to send the test kits out, they sent out test kits that returned a 50% false positive. And they realized it. Luckily, they realized it. And they were like, oh, hang on a second. We got to redo this because we screwed up. It wasn't some private company. It was your own government. And the same thing with this, with the certificate of need and the, the we don't have enough licensed beds. Well, why, why is nobody saying we don't have enough beds? You have to say licensed beds. We don't have enough licensed beds because you're restricting the freaking private market, idiot. <laughs> it creates an artificial the supply so they fact, can keep the price high. The whole fact that you said licensed bed to begin with. Like, how about we just add beds? Yeah. Nothing. Suspend the licensing at least. Get rid of it. But at least suspend it during this time. It's, it's like it doesn't make any sense. Oh, I, dig yeah. I, I digress. Charlie a had, little bit. Charlie rests his case. Yeah, he is. He is done. Well, guys, there's no your more, something positive today. So, no more licensed no. beds. No, the the thing is, and they are taking away some restrictions, and they're making moves that maybe are going to help. But the problem with the unseen is you don't know what could have been done to help had the government not had the restrictions there in the first place, if they weren't government contracts paying for all the tests or paying for the, the ventilators and all this stuff that they're going to be paying for, what would have happened uh, on the other side of that that have, would have happened inside of the private market? We never get to see that. And that's why we get so frustrated all the time with this, because this is yet again proof. It's, it's showing all the 
just the glaringly obvious problems inside of our healthcare system, proving on a daily basis that we do not work within a free market healthcare system. If the president has to get up and says, I'm going to reduce some of the restrictions that we have, then how are you telling me that we live within a free market healthcare system? Right there. There's your argument destroyed for the fact that our problems in the healthcare market are the free market. That the president has to get up and say that I'm going to reduce some of the restrictions that we have on people producing more medical supplies or adding more beds to their hospitals. You shouldn't have to do that if we had a free market healthcare system. So we don't have that. And you now, want to look at what a, a universal healthcare uh, coverage has happened? It's Italy. Yeah. Everyone's talking about how bad Italy is. Well, that's universal healthcare for you. Yeah. They're deciding who lives and who dies. Now, do you want the government deciding who lives and who dies? Who's the one that actually gets the ventilator and who doesn't? No, I don't. And there's I don't want that. No incentive for anybody in Italy to create anything else. I mean, unless, it's, gover unless it's government mandated. So uh, we got to we got to move on from covid watch. It's it's I'm over it. Yeah, I'm I've had it. Now we had a conversation. <laughs> I'm over it. We had a conversation a couple days ago about hoarding. And we were talking about how we needed to allow the prices to go up on some of these products. And what well, they we were talking do, about price gouging. Yeah, price. Yeah, sorry, hoarding. We we're talking about price gouging and how we needed to allow the prices to go up on things like toilet paper. Just say yeah. toilet paper. You allow the price to go up. And we what we talked about with the, was that either new suppliers were coming to the market or the suppliers that currently exist, well, they would do a better job or they would work harder. And the thing is, maybe that's maybe they're already at max capacity. They can't produce any more toilet paper. Okay. So well, let's talk about this message that we got in our in our Facebook inbox that Charlie checks. I don't check messages. Yeah. Uh, so if tell you want to if you want to get in on the conversation, by the way, you can uh, send us a DM anywhere. We answer Twitter DMs, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. If you guys want to engage with us, you can do that. Uh, most of the time, we do try to reply as often as we can. We do get a lot of messages. We try to at least reply once, but this was a very interesting message from Austin. I won't give your last name out for doxing purposes, um, but Austin, who happens to be um, in the manufacturing business, so he understands a lot about the supply side of things. And he was talking about the price gouging episode we did on Monday. And by the way, he's a huge fan of the show. So thank you, Austin, for listening. Thanks for your for your feedback and for this information. So I'll just read a little bit of this. He said, it was stated that the underlying issue of the price gouging was that the shelves didn't restock. That part is fine because it is true. However, there was a suggestion that manufacturers should be able to react to temporary shifts in demand by increasing their prices, ultimately paying over time and generating more products, thus creating higher profits. Subsequently, retailers raise their prices, meaning supply is able to remain readily available at higher prices. This argument, although wise in theory, demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of manufacturing, which I admitted. I was like, look, I'm I'm not a manufacturer. I know there everything there is to know about healthcare, but I'm not in the manufacturing uh, business. So uh, while in theory, the theory does remain true. What we were talking about essentially was in a true free market. And I'm saying a true free market here. That, so you'd even be removing, you could say there weren't even contract problems between no, the retailers and the leaving, suppliers? Leaving contract okay, problems in okay. there. I'm, I'm saying in a true free market. Um, let's let's go on here real quick and then we'll get we'll we'll discuss this. Uh, I told him that we would. So uh, his manufacturing department, they supply a vast majority of the ultra ultra premium store brand toilet paper and paper towels. Their production is measured in tons of toilet paper produced. 
So not rolls, tons. They do an average of 700 tons a day. That's a lot of ass wiping. That's man. a shit ton of toilet paper Woo! right there. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, so let's see. He said, the part that you may not understand is that as a manufacturer, we do not just build and stockpile goods. That wouldn't make sense from a time value of money perspective, which makes sense. We do make a single square. Uh, we don't make a single square of paper until it is already sold. So what they do is they say they have their sellers go out and they create these contracts and then they do the manufacturing rather than having the pile of inventory and trying to sell those. Uh, the contract establishes all aspects of the sale from the price the retailers like Walmart, Sam's and Aldi will pay as well as the range of price that the retailers are allowed to sell the product at. So they have all these market, all the pricing done well ahead of time. So everybody knows what they're getting into, right? It reduces risk. And that's essentially what these contracts do. So the, the relationship is very important and ensures that the retailer is protected from us and that our products are cheaper than the name brands because volume is the name of the game for manufacturers to profit. So, he said that we suggested that the facility should ramp production to meet demand. However, uh, is that these manufacturers are already at maximum capacity. There's already buyers for the 700 tons per day that are, that are produced. If the facility had capacity to make 800 tons, it would already be sold. So what he's saying is they would already go out and sell the contracts and then they would ramp up production to meet those. Um, so anyway, he said, this is why price gouging, local, aka localized monopolies are a problem. The plants and the stores are under legal contracts that significantly minimize their ability to respond to a short-term demand spike, particularly on a localized level. The giant companies and all other customers will get, their, will get theirs on time, scheduled shipments at the agreed-upon price and the agreed-upon time. That's the only way the paper gets made. Thanks for reading. Have a great day. So, the... Again, I don't understand the manufacturing side of things. And these contracts may be in place. True. All that true. But they might be there's, they're at max capacity. True. Yes. But there's two things. One, Nate and I were discussing this morning. We were talking about this and you bring up really good points. But what the first thing is, is that the stores should be raising their prices regardless of whether or not the manufacturers see that as them being, being able to raise their price. And now the problem and, is that they're within a contract that stipulates how much they can raise their price to. Right. So you might be talking about a fundamental, uh, a, a difference in them not allowing the price to go up when they should be more open to the prices going up to meet the demand. That's, that's one thing I would say. So it, it might exist a contract that says that they can't sell. I, I'm not saying it might exist. I know that those contracts exist say, saying that you can't charge more than this for this product, or you need to charge this much for the product. So I, I understand that. So with, then what I would say is I'd be talking to the manufacturers at that time. And I would say you need to allow under high demand circumstances for the, the parts of this contract to stipulate how much they can charge for the product to be able to move up. To, to meet this demand. So in, in that case, I wouldn't necessarily be talking to the retailers or even the customers. I'd be saying the manufacturers need to have to, to be able to stop this problem and availability for the stores to raise their prices if that is what is necessary. Uh, that's what I would say on that. Or in a true free market, if the companies are not able to raise their prices because they're under contract, they would be able to grab supply from smaller manufacturers. Maybe they're only producing a hundred mm. tons a day and they want or larger. Or, I mean, the, the, 
I greatly appreciate uh, the the guy's message, and I th- he's right about everything that he said in there about the place that he works and all of that. But that doesn't mean that every toilet paper supplier in the world is under that problem. Now, maybe the store has a contract where they can only buy the toilet paper from this person. Some, something like yeah. that exclusively. So there's problems within the contracts where it, like, it's setting up a supply problem because of the, the problem with that contract. Because what I would say is even if they can't produce more, I still want the prices to go up on the toilet paper. And you could say maybe that's not going to incentivize producers to make more toilet paper, but what it would do is it would incentivize people to buy less toilet paper. And that would keep more on the shelves. Now, unfortunately, it, it just would be the case that we're in a world where they can't freely adjust their prices. And that's, that, and that's a problem. Well, that's what I was going to say. How do we address that problem? Because... <laughs> In a true free market, contracts are allowed between private entities. Mm. And so if we have essentially, uh, you know, strong armed the free market by way of contract through the free market, what do you do about that problem? I mean, that sounds like a big problem. It it is a pretty now in the world of internet and amazon and and all of this stuff where you probably could go you know maybe your local store has a has a contract for a certain thing but maybe amazon's got contracts with 150 different suppliers i know there's not that many but maybe they've got contracts with 20 different suppliers for theirs and maybe they can negotiate on that a little bit better than all the local stores can and people in the area can still have the availability on amazon to, to buy their toilet paper or or you could look at a shift from all these big box stores to mom and pop shops where they're able to buy toilet paper at a higher price mm. from these production companies the manufacturing companies and sell them for a higher price so rather than yeah all these big box stores they've reduced their risk by being in these contracts during normal normal market conditions you see like mm. gas stations are able to charge whatever the hell they want yeah and i think it's for the most part as long as you're not a big gas station chain you know, these local, most of them are locally owned um, there. They maybe they get in, you know, for 10, $20 a pack and they sell it to you for 40, $50 a pack or something like mm-hmm. that. And so I still think the the market can work itself inside of that. And so you would see a shift. So what the guy said um, was that philosophically or in theory, the idea is correct and i would say that that is that is something that we're doing here we're talking about how economics should work in this situation like economically this is how this should work now maybe there are contracts and all kinds of things in place that are blocking this from working but on our standpoint where we're talking about basic economics this is what should work with supply and demand theory as far as that goes now unfortunately maybe there's contracts all the stuff in place where that's not going to be possible uh i know what they a lot of times what they do is they'll say you can't sell this for more than a 10 percent markup something yeah. like that and then and then so the supplier says well this is what we're selling for you can't sell it for more than 10 percent markup so they're lo- they're locked into that price my my family owns a grocery store so i, I know how they kind of do this they have to have a certain markup on things and they can't go they can't go more than that for a lot now of maurice so, now maurice is saying which by the way if you want to interact with us live you can do that on patreon.com good morning liberty maurice one of our avid patreon supporters who is able to interact with us and ask questions and give comments that we read on the show so if you guys want to do that patreon.com good morning liberty he says that's not how we did our buying when i worked at a retailer we were actually able to set our own prices on our end it was negotiated but we were able to change the price up or down 
it's very nuanced, but we could somewhat control our pricing on a store area level. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for some retailers and also true, again, as I mentioned, mom and pop shops where they don't have those big contracts. Right. And they may not be dealing with a big manufacturing plant. And, and you see this like all, all the time. Like if I you watch Shark Tank, right? When you first develop a prototype and you send it to a manufacturing company and you only order 100 units, they're going to charge you. Let's make the numbers easy. They'll charge you $10, whatever. But if you up your inventory or you find a different manufacturing plant who does a lot, lot higher volume, because he even says volume is the game in the manufacturing business, you could transfer that over to another one. You can get your product down to $5 a unit, you know, because now you're ordering a thousand in a different manufacturing plant, different volume and all of that, they can produce your product for $5. So now you can reduce the price that you're going to charge the market or the wholesaler or anything like that. And so now the market works. And so I think this rings true because I even was seeing on the news, you know, you had Costco, Walmart, all these giant retailers that were out of toilet paper and all this stuff. And the lady was like, I'm over here at Steve Martin's and it's a local grocery store, family owned. And there was like, we have full stock of everything. There's so pictures and video of all the meat on the shelves, there's plenty of toilet paper and paper towels and all kinds of stuff. The mom and pop shops are the ones that can rise to the occasion when these big transactions, these big contracts, these big people who are what they're doing with these contracts is they're minimizing their risk. But when normal market well, conditions, they're also setting the price, like when you make a product, you want the product to be sold for a certain amount because your team has determined what the market price that we can sell the highest volume is going to be. So as the person who's creating that product, you also want to have some control over what the people are charging for that, the retail side, because you, if you're making iPhones and you're going to give them to all of these retailers as Apple, you're going to say you can't charge more than $1,300 or whatever for this iPhone. Like you can't just have a retailer charging $2,500 for an iPhone. They're not going to allow that. So they, they do set that because they know what they want their market price to be. So they can make the, the most money. And like this guy said in his message, the volume is the, is what you make money off of. So but now it still <clears throat> rings true. What I said Monday still rings true. These two brothers from Tennessee, they filled a market void because where the stores were under contract and the manufacturers exactly. were under under contract and the prices had to remain the same because of contractual obligations, the two brothers from Tennessee bought up the inventory and they raised the price, which so is what happens in a free which yeah. what happens in a free market. There's your way around that contract in the free market. And Someone else bought up the supply. Another and, middleman. And they sold it at the market price. Exactly. Yeah. That's how the market void is filled. It's still not price gouging. These the the brothers were not price gouging. Well, dude, everything uh, price God, price gouging just it's a bad name, but like I was just saying earlier in the podcast, I can go to Norwegian Cruise Lines right now and I can get a cruise for 150 bucks a person before all the fees and stuff like that. Am I price gouging them because this same cruise was 500 bucks a piece a few months ago and now it's 150? Am I gouging them? No, yeah. it's it's what the market price has gone down to. You're gouging gas, them, man. Gas going to my house is a dollar eighty-four a gallon right now. It, it was two fifty a gallon a couple months ago. Am I gouging them? No, that's what the market price is. The price gouging is simply people selling things at what the market price is. If it wasn't the market price, then they wouldn't sell anything. That's how you know it's the market price, by the way, because people are paying for it. Things are worth what people will pay for them all the time. That's why cruises are really cheap. Flights are really cheap. Gas is really cheap. And maybe the price of hand sanitizer and all that stuff is going up. 
Things are worth what other people will pay for them. They're never worth a specified amount based on what you paid to produce them. And I, an Apple iPhone charger costs five cents to produce. They charge it for, they sell it for 30 bucks when you go to Target. The thing, no one wants a law, maybe they do. No one's calling for a law that says Target can't charge more than seven cents for that Apple phone charger. No one would think <laughs> they wouldn't that. buy any. They sell it for what people will pay for it. That's what they sell it for. And if the price because on the maybe, charger goes down to $5, no one's going to complain about that. Maybe they get. So, and here's the other thing. When you have multiple products, think about this. Maybe they get a 90% margin on the, on the phone, on the phone charger, right? But maybe they're selling their milk at a half a percent margin, or maybe they're losing money on some <clears throat> other things. Yeah. So well, all gas, these, a lot of gas stations lose money on gas. Oh yeah. They make money off of the convenience store sales. Off the convenience. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the convenience not to go into a big box no, they, store they to make get your money Reese's. off of the stuff that, yeah, that you buy in the gas station. They sell the gas at cost or sometimes they'll lose money on it because they'll make money off of you buying up Dr. Pepper while you're in there. So the, I just, remember one time, remember when, you know, gas was below a dollar. You yeah. still remember that? I do. When I, I was gas was a dollar 80 when I got my license. What? Yeah, I paid it. I paid $18 to fill up my tank when I got my license at a 10 gallon tank. Gas was less than a dollar. I don't think I, don't I remember about that. Maybe, How old are you? Maybe, maybe it was when I got my license. I remember filling up my car for like twelve dollars. You have a really, really small car. I had a. It was a. It was a two thousand one Chevy Cavalier, my man. Did they have a eight gallon tank? It must have. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I remember one time uh, a gas station, a, a local gas station, decided to sell their gas below a dollar again, which was the first time it had happened in years. And they had 99 cent gas. Guess what happened? Now they lost, you know, 50 cents a gallon probably off that gas. But guess what happened? That store was packed. There was a line down the street and everybody was filling up on gas and then going inside, getting their Dr. Pepper, their Reese's or whatever it is, popcorn, chips. And they were making, you know, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars per patron. So, yeah, they lost 50 percent, 50 cents a gallon on the gas. But they made it back on all the stuff that people purchased on the inside. And what, uh, this is what companies do. Another thing people don't realize is that there's, it's hard to have price gouging and monopolies. This is a great argument that Thomas Sowell makes in Basic Economics. It's hard to have price gouging and monopolies on things that are are interchangeable with other things. So say, oh yeah, uh, this is a really say, great point. Say Alcoa was going to have a monopoly on aluminum, the Aluminum Corporation of America, whatever they stand for. Um, say they're going to have a monopoly on aluminum. They're just going to buy out all the competition and they're going to raise the price to a billion dollars per ton of aluminum. That's what they're going to charge for it. Well, the problem is aluminum is interchangeable with other things. Maybe at that price, maybe you're just do titanium's cheaper. Maybe some other kind of metal Nickel. is cheaper. There's interchangeable items. So toilet paper, you raise the price to uh, 50 bucks per pack. Well, maybe at that point, you're like, well, guess what? Toilet paper, uh, maybe I can stop having such a coddled anus and I can get some paper towels instead. Or maybe I can use some napkins or maybe I can use baby wipes. Or I've always wanted to order <laughs> that bidet. Yeah, or the bidet. <laughs> something like that. Maybe I want to put a bidet. You can get one for 20 bucks on Amazon it's and hook it up to your toilet. It's a booty washer. So maybe, maybe there's <laughs> things like that. So when you have an interchangeable resource, you can't exactly have a monopoly or a price gouging because you can substitute it out for something else that can perform the same duty at that time. Yeah. By so, the way, the toilet paper was out at Kroger <clears throat> that we recently went to a couple days ago. All the toilet paper gone, napkins, baby wipes, all those were gone. Kleenexes <clears throat> out the wazoo. 
Really? Tissue paper. You just That's, get tissue paper. Yeah. Then. Kleenexes were there. They even had the aloe vera one. That'd probably feel real good on your butt. I'm probably, you know, Walmart. And they like, come out in those little sheets. You just stack a couple of them together. <laughs> you know, you don't have to tear it off of a roll. There you go. Yeah. I, I might switch to Kleenexes instead. <laughs> You're selling me on it, man. So that's the thing. You got things that can be substituted for other things. And so you can't exactly have a monopoly or price gouging when you can substitute it for something else. Just like Charlie said with the Kleenexes, I went to Walmart the other day. That looks like they've been looted. And of course, out of toilet paper, but whole row of baby wipes. There were like, baby wipes there. Plenty of baby wipes all through there. Like, tell me that toilet paper and baby wipes are not interchangeable in some kind of way. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not out of things to perform the duty that toilet paper does. I've still got options. There's substitutes. There's notebook paper. There's all notebook. That's might get rough. The trees still produce leaves. You've still got a shower, (laughs) you know, get one with a little handle on it. Something like that. You (laughs) know, clean yourself off in the shower. There's all kinds of substitutions. So you can't exactly say that someone has monopoly when you can substitute that out for something else that performs the same duty. So ladies love that little handle faucet. (laughs) Can I say that on the podcast? (laughs) I just did. Oh, <laughs> Lacey says she loves it because it's easier to clean oh, yeah, the shower sure. out. Yeah. She's like, we got to have one of those handheld things in the shower. I'm not doing a shower without one of those handheld faucets. Yeah. And now you got me thinking here. Actually, she pulls the shades down before she cleans shame. the tub. Shame. Oh, God. So that's a great way to end our family-friendly friend show right there. This is Good Morning Liberty. Did you want to give it? I know we got to end soon because I have to go pick yeah. up my son, but did you want to give a quick update on the primaries? The pri- because that's, oh, yeah. No one's talking about it, but it's still happening. There are still some states that are voting. Thank God we finally don't care about the primaries. I know. I just wanted to give a quick update that uh, the socialist Bernie Sanders likely looking not to win the nomination anymore he's uh, likely looking not to yeah, win the nomination likely looking not yes and um joe biden running away with the three states that voted on tuesday there were a few states that canceled uh but he won illinois and florida massive states and he's now up to 1180 delegates to bernie's 884 so there's a about a 250 i'm sorry about a 350 delegate margin now spread yeah so uh that's quite a quite a lot for him to make up and i'm not sure if he could do it i don't think Uh, there's enough uh states he hasn't dropped out yet though he said he's reevaluating his campaign well and he says he's got to. you know it's important because he's got to get the message out there he's got to get the evil evil socialist terrible message out there to to brainwash as many kids as possible before he he passes on so he's got to stay out there as long as possible i didn't think he'd get in the race this time because he was so darn old good lord he might run again here in four years who knows who he probably still be a better talker than joe biden who still doesn't know that he won the elections last night he walked up to the white house thinking that he was the president probably already and just wandering around in the white house lawn we still haven't found him yet so i just want to say what a great election year this is going to be oh gosh we got the stock market covid joe biden might win the nomination he'll probably pick hillary clinton as as his running mate (laughs) he better this is going to be so fantastic i mean absolutely incredible this is just going to be great content so what that means is you guys need to subscribe to the podcast we're going to keep this information coming at you marie said he was crying that was so funny you're welcome 
And uh, if you want to keep hearing this great content, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. What that does is that sends this, the next episode, free to your phone. It's an amazing thing to do. I said if you wanted to support the show, and if you wanted to interact with us live, you can comment on what we're doing. You can ask questions like Maurice does. We have a few uh, patron supporters, but Maurice is the most um active one and so things the other people have found where you comment live yet it's i don't think they know where the button is it's fun to interact so if you guys want to be a part of that to go to patreon.com slash good morning liberty you can get in for as little as five dollars a month to have this kind of access we have several tiers but as little as five bucks a month i mean that's right now as the market's crashing this is where you should be investing your money into information and news that can help you navigate this and madness. And don't think if a lot of people come in the Patreon, we're going to spike those puppies up. Those prices are going to be 100 bucks, <laughs> 200 bucks a pop. So you better get in right now. That's right. we're going to start price gouging you SOBs pretty soon. <laughs> so get in. Get in while the market's set for the buyers, which is what it is right now. Five bucks if you want to watch us live. And once again, our trading account for the month so far is up 23% over the last month since starting our trading class what's we the gained, what's the market down uh, the market is down about 33 percent down 33 wow. percent our account is up 23 percent we're teaching the people in our class how to do what we're doing every single day uh you know we took a lot of trades today we still gained five percent in our account today while the market was halting it was down so much we gained five percent in our account guys it takes a while to learn all this stuff, but we're going to be condensing it down into several, several digestible videos so you can understand what it is that we're doing. I'm condensing all of this information through all the super expensive trading classes I've taken. There's classes out there, trust me, that cost 5000 bucks a pop. I paid $1,000 one time to watch someone else trade live. Okay, we're going live in the pre-market every single morning, and you can just take the class, $47 a month. And we still have a free trial, seven-day free trial going right now. And we're going to be keeping that going through the month of March if you want to get in with a seven-day free trial. If you don't like it, you can cancel. Or if it's not in your budget, or maybe you figure you don't have the time to trade, or you can't build up the uh, the capital to trade in the accounts that you can cancel. You don't you don't have to do it, okay? So you can do this seven day free trial. If you do like it, you keep it. If you don't like it, you get out within the seven days, bail out on your future if that's what you wanna do. And uh, you know, I don't suggest doing that, but um, that's what you can do. Go to mastermytrades.com, mastermytrades.com to grab that seven day free trial that is going through the month of March. We're gonna keep giving you guys updates. Once again, up 23% in our account, doing a $2,000 account challenge. Love that money. Woo! <laughs> Ow! So we're up 23%. Our goal is to take our small account, $2,000, up to $100,000 this year. And we are showing people how we're doing that every single day. Uh, you know, we'll just keep making these 23% gains. And when you're making a 23% gain on a, on a $20,000 account, on a $30,000 account, you're moving a lot of money and that thing's going to grow exponentially and that we're, everyone's going to get to watch that they're going to get to watch the points that we pick out live in the morning they're going to watch our trade recaps all of our strategies learn everything there is to know about how we trade this stuff every day at mastermytrades.com mastermytrades.com because they're your trades yeah. And that's, that's the Liberty Trading Academy way. Well, again, if you guys like what we're doing, please share the show with a friend. 
Tell uh, someone about it. We're seeing all kinds of new numbers come in. It's really cool to watch the audience grow. It's nice that all of you guys are listening. We love doing this every single day, and we just need one small thing from you. That's it. Just one little thing from you, and that's to share it with a friend. Leave us a rating and review, five stars, because it's worth it, and write a little note to us, letting us know how much you love us, because every day we need one of those ego boosts from y'all. So we really appreciate everything you're doing. If you guys do all that, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty Biberty. Liberty.